0: You know, the part about the the court case really, yeah, being a question about what does it mean to be free and how do you know if you are free and versus if you are a slave, right? So in the court, you know, during the trial, questions like, were you called a slave or were you given compensation for the work that you did? And, you know, the question about is food and cloth, are those things consider compensation. So in considering those questions, I think, you know, it really very much was about kind of a philosophical question. Like, what does it mean for an individual to be free? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bookish. Happy New Year. I'm Laura Yu, and I'm here with my friends Sylvia Lee and Kofi Adisa. So today we're going to be talking about a genre and talk about one specific example from that we're going to be discussing graphic novels or graphic memoirs or graphic history so graphic literature i guess and when we were talking about you know why graphic novel or which graphic novels i realized that many of the graphic novels i've read were actually not novels but memoirs or some kind of a historical telling of a story. Sylvia remembered that she and I had read a, a graphic history when we were taking a history class together. And and the book is called Abina and the Important Men. And it's a retelling of a actually a court case from the late 19th century in current Ghana and Gold Coast. But I think it's currently is Ghana. So we'll be talking about graphic novels in general or graphic literature in general, and specifically about how this particular work about Abina works. So I'm going to go to Kofi. So Kofi, what, what the, what's what been your experience with graphic literature and why graphic literature, I guess, graphic novel or graphic memoir?
1: With Abina, it was the first time that I saw kind of a history that's dealing with Internal slavery that was happening in the 19th century in Ghana that was different from, say, Mouse, which was a retelling of the Holocaust that f- featured mice as, as Jewish and cats as Germans. So there it's still dealing with specific historical moments, but they've done totally differently. And so with Abina, it's it's sort of a composite of notes. Some of the writings that were found, I guess, within the archives uh, in Britain, and this became sort of the catalyst for uh, Trevor Getz to put together this graphic history of this little known case where this Ghanaian woman argued for her freedom because she believed she was wrongly enslaved to another captor. So I found it just to be a fascinating telling or retelling in a graphical sense. The actual graphic portion isn't as long as some of the historical backgrounds to it. (laughs) And that was also interesting because with a lot of other graphic novels, usually, if there is long writing, it's sort of interspersed throughout the pictorial of images, or it's sort of embedded within the actual story. So I found it to be fascinating in a variety of ways. What was your first reading of this? How did it strike you, uh, Sylvia?
2: I had a very similar kind of process as you, Kofi, just kind of thinking through it, and I thought it was so well done because, uh, like you said, the the actual graphic, like the illustrated story of what happens to Ibina was very short and it's a quick read, but I, the real goldmine was sort of like all the context that the author provided really about how how history is written, right? And how that shapes the way we construct meaning. And so I really appreciated these considerations that the author was walking us through, like, you know, right after this illustrated portion ends, you know, he goes into this question of like, well, whose story is this? And, you know, if I were just consuming the story of Abina and her trial, I would just say, well, it's obviously it's Abina's story, but he really invites us to critically think about what he calls a staircase of voices in history, mm-hmm. especially when certain voices, certain histories are just never told, right? Like usually the histories of like famous, important men and more recently women are told, but really the histories of Nobodies or regular people are often overlooked um, because the historians and the people who are telling the stories are making choices, and it's easy when there are voices that are silenced, right? And mar- marginalized, like Abina was. Well. She had no power, so I thought it was a really. It just really made me linger over the the whole story itself and kind of like go back to moments in the illustrated portion because I felt it so keenly. It wasn't just about like the fact that she was wrongly. Cause at this time I think um, slavery is technically outlawed or outlawed technically, but people, they're finding ways around the law. And um, really her point was she wanted justice, right? Like she wanted to prove that she was being held as a slave and she wanted the men who had put her in that position to be brought to justice. And the fact that some of them like one, like, that they lied on stand and were able to be found not guilty. More than anything, like she by that time was out of that situation. Like she was employed with a kind employer who was also I think her lawyer and like, you know, she was making friends, she was living her life, but it wasn't about like her being safe. It was about her getting a sense of this sort of justice, her story being told and of something that was wrong uh, being rightfully punished. And so I thought that that being sort of where you, where the kind of story ended was really poignant. And then launching into this discussion about like, how is history written? <laughs> you know, who writes history and who's history and how? And like there's layers, like the staircase of voices. The story itself is, you know, based on primary sources, transcripts from the, the thing, but that in and of itself was written by a white British magistrate who, you know, had his own certain cultural context, you know, for writing, and you could see that in the transcript. So then it's another layer that's interpreted by the the writer, and then another layer interpreted by the illustrator. And so it really made me look at a lot of the other things I read, historical histories, very differently. And like, how do I know whose history that is? And if you've ever been, sorry, I'm like going on and on, because there's obviously a lot to talk about and think about with this, <laughs> but like, you know, at, growing up, even as like, you know, uh, Korean, the like Koreans, for example, have a bone to pick with historical accounts, <laughs> you know, especially when it came to their own annexation and colonization by other nations. And so this has been a kind of a question, I think that I've been thinking about for a long time about like, whose voices do we hear and whose voices do we not hear? So anyways, this is why I think it's really important to distinguish graphic novels from like graphic histories, and I'm really glad that this one calls itself a graphic history because it's it's not a novel, you know. It was meticulously crafted, and yet there are some elements that they probably had to like creatively, you know, include in there, which they they recognize. But how about you, Laura? I remember when we were starting to read this together for that class, you're like, "What? This is pretty cool," and so <laughs> I, I'm glad. For you.
0: In the class, the professor actually didn't assign the graphic novel part or graphic history part. He assigned the essays that are surrounding that narrative, right? Because it was really to study history uh, or how history is done. So I did also think about rereading it again, how the graphic part plays a role in representing this story. And um, I am not a good graphic novel reader, person um, I tend to just ignore the images actually because I'm just not experienced in reading with images so I will like just read all the conversation or the narrative and then I have to remind myself like oh wait like let's pause and take a look at the image that's here so what was interesting is that you know the what they have is that quote-unquote transcript and that they're building this whole graphic novel on and then the illustrator had to do sort of external research to find out to, you know, remotely accurately represent what Abina's um, village might have looked like or what the courtroom might have looked like or what kind of clothing the, you know, the persons or the characters might be wearing. So I thought that was also interesting, the adding to this, trying to do accurate visual representation of the story too. Another interesting thing about the graphic part too is, it was a very clear indication of which characters are African characters, right? Black characters, or which characters are the white characters, which I think if you were reading the transcript, you'd have to kind of remind yourself like, oh, who is this person? Who is that person? But in the drawing, You can see the race and you you are very clearly seeing, especially with names that I'm not familiar with, who is a male character, for example, and who are the female characters. And I think those things being visually represented really added a different experience to learning about this story, frankly, that I had never known about this particular timeframe, or even this issue of ongoing slavery within certain places in Africa after Britain had outlawed or made slavery illegal. So, you know, in the question about why graphic, um, I think it added those those kind of elements for me, which, you know, as a history like textbook, would this have been dry to read? I don't know, right? But I was looking, rereading it. And actually, my kids were kind of walking around and like one of them peered over my shoulder and said, oh, is that a graphic novel? And I was like, yeah. And he said, um, oh, is it good? I was like, yeah. He's like, can I read it? I was like, sure. <laughs> so it's a good, I don't know, like history teaching book as well. In addition to being a book about history or how we do history.
2: There was one part of that, and kind of what you said, Laura, made me think of that question again. And it's where they talk about the purpose of this, of history really you know, in constructing meaning, right, not just in kind of informing or recording or archiving or capturing events like this happened. But one reason for it is for the purpose of constructing meaning. And it made me think about the misconceptions or maybe the limited understanding we have of history. One of my husband's relatives is a trained historian. And he was saying over our holiday gathering, that history is not linear. And it's kind of an error to, to read history that way. And I thought. The way that this was done, kind of inviting us to think about um, this story in our current context, was really interesting. My question to you, Kofi, was going to be: In what way did the text, or the reading guide, or the essays that followed it, do you think that it was constructing meaning? And if so, what kind of meaning do you think it was asking us to construct or consider?
1: Um, I, I think that that's. I think that's a very good question. Um, and you're really smart to ask me, uh, but I don't really have, an answer. <laughs> I may have a smart answer, but I don't have a smart answer. I think that, uh, I think that yeah, I, I think what I found interesting was how there was this level, these levels of intertextuality, how all these other things, all these texts referred back to another text that referred back to another text mm-hmm. that had sort of multiplicity of texts that under undergird them. So, you know, this notion of cultural slavery that was happening. And at the same time, when there was an abolition, an abolishment of slavery amongst states, amongst countries, but you had this cultural thing going on that was sort of like an open secret. And so that's the visual part, right? So then you have this transcript of the actual case, which is You know, there was actually two women who were sort of arguing about their conditions, but that harkens back to a a cultural phenomena or social cultural phenomena that is very different than the larger Mm -hmm. chattel slavery that was practiced in the the United States and the type of slavery that was practiced in, in Britain and in France and in Germany as well. And so all of these different entities impact how this story comes to life in a way. And so these different essays, these different readings, these different ways of understanding the histories, I think your relative is right that it's not a linear thing. It's not a straight line. It's sort of like a web. And that there's Mm -hmm. these different pieces that connect in intricate ways and in sometimes in very weighted ways because how uh, Abina saw herself as a slave was pretty much predicated to the fact that she didn't have the rights to move. She didn't have rights to choose who her husband was. And even when she said she was married, she wasn't really the person who she said was her husband was someone who also enslaved her. So, so it was just these levels of matrimony and body rights for women that at that time and even till this time um, becomes a a larger part of this 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 web of. I guess meaning you can say. And I think meaning is always an approximation of something, maybe closer mm-hmm. to truth. But it, it seems like these texts are are talking to and about and around things that were happening at in one historical context, but yet continue to happen in other contexts beyond that history, I would say. So that's that's you know, that's how I, I looked at it. And you know, the point I was gonna say is like when um it says a graphic history. It's almost like it's announcing to readers that it's not like what they would think, which is like with one of your sons said, Laura, is it a graphic novel? Because it's it's dealing with that textuality too, that when people see something visual and in a thick book, and it's not like your regular old Marvel DC comic, <laughs> and there's a lot of words to it, they'll think, oh, graphic novel. And that's, that's where they're, their, their narrative structure begins and ends. And even that's how I thought of it until I looked again and said, oh yeah, it's a graphic history. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could read it the way you all read it, starting with the sort of the textual information first and then looking at the gra- the illustrations. I think that would have reframed how I, I encountered the book, you know? So I just read mm-hmm. it straight through, did my due diligence as a reader, going from page to page. And then, but I think if I were a student reading this as a history, I might have jumped past the transcripts and read sort of the context around it. So I might have jumped around a bit. I don't know if that answered your question. By the way,
2: it was it was a great answer, Kofi. I think something that um, you pointed out—the idea of cultural slavery—and also, you know, when I was reading the transcript, I found myself like really engrossed in the part of the transcript where they're arguing on trial, like whether or not she was actually a slave. And in my mind, I was like, look at them trying to, like gaslighting her <laughs> into thinking like, no, you were not a slave. But what the way that you've described it is perfect, right? That, the, and this is sort of what the author says that there's so many political, social, cultural contexts that are kind of at play at any given moment within even the, the exchanges that are happening. You have to kind of acknowledge the, them in order to really understand what the confusion may have been, or just the deception or, you know, even the gaslighting, like the idea that the, the role of women, and like you said, their, their rights, or lack thereof, that was a huge part of it as well, right? Like you can't, these things don't exist in exclusion from each other. So um, I thought you, you described that really well. Um, how about you, Laura?
0: You know the part about
2: the the court case really
0: yeah being a question about what does it mean to be free and how do you know if you are free and versus if you are a slave right so in the court you know during the trial questions like were you called a slave or were you given compensation for the work that you did and you know the question about is food and cloth are those things consider compensation so in considering those questions i think you know the it really very much was about kind of a philosophical question like what does it mean for an individual to be free and one of the things that the authors do talk about in one of those sort of essays in the uh, or reading guides is how as a reader i can't not think about my understanding of what is just or fair, or what does it even mean to be free, right? So I'm bringing my value system into judging the trial that's happening. And it, that it's important to recognize that as a historian, or as a reader, that we can't not bring that, right? We, we, we need to be aware of of our presence in the reading practice, I guess. So I found that discussion about, well, how do you know you were a slave to be just so fascinating? And I was kind of like dumbfounded, like, what do you you mean? (laughs) What do you mean that's not clear that she was a slave, right? But that I could also understand why and how in that context, it was a question that was debatable, right?
1: Yeah. And it it was also, even though the attorney for Edo or Adu, even though he was arguing this or asking these questions to Abina, it was really slanted to cause her to really doubt her own situation for her to sort of undermine her own credibility, right? So, you know, that's that's kind of the role of the lawyer in, in a sense, but it it did lend itself to when does the person truly know when they are mm-hmm. in bondage? And I kept wanting her to say, well, I, I didn't have the freedom to make choices. The choices are already made for me. I had to do work. I had to do the chores. I, I had no say in this, but, I was also struck by to sort of the point that you're making, Laura, that these are my, you know, 21st century ways of seeing things. And that in the late nineteenth century, you know, yes, they probably in, in Ghana had terms for choice, but the way we think about it now is not the way they probably would have thought about it then, or maybe even if they did, within that cultural context, it to be a part of a conquered people there was some established understanding that you were going to be subsumed by another system. Um, So in that Mm -hmm. system, it was the Shanti and then the Shanti fell to another group of people. And so when you have these different kinds of wars, there's a sort of psychology of what you're going to experience. Um, You're going to be captured and you're going to have to do certain things for a period in time. But there's always this. It's not a veiled understanding, but there is definitely an understanding that if you are sold off, you know you're sold off. And the way this happened with her, it was so it was so surreptitious, and she sort of put two and two together, and that it became that became the contentious point. For all she remembered and all she knows is that Ya'awa was her husband, even though he was basically another. Enslaver, slavery. And so that's that's the sort of layers that makes it complicated, I think, that makes the story complicated, um, but also makes it broader and makes us understand these different cultural norms at, at specific moments in, in history.
2: Yeah, I think that's also why, like, it's hard to uh, look at one of the ca- characters whose, whose transcript. Is one of the primary documents for this whole graphic history. Um, Melton, who is kind of like the magistrate or the judge in the trial, the court trial, you know, it's hard to even villainize Melton as, like, oh, you, you know, British colonists coming in and, you know, trying to make these decisions. And the author gives kind of gives us an insight into Melton's upbringing and his training as well, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And talks about how Melton was trained to believe that, you know, the British were the pinnacle of like moral superiority because they had also abolished slavery. And at the same time, he was trying to balance that with respecting the cultural norms and the rules of the area that he was posted in, right? Um, And not to kind of impose Fully, like the British way of doing things, onto all their customs and practices. But to your point, Kofi, you know, it's essentially cultural relativism, right? Like we're looking at, you know, what was considered the norm and appropriate during that time in that culture, um, and how the magistrate person was really trying to balance these things. So, yeah, I really, I think it was just a really heady uh, <laughs> reading of this. Of this graphic history and to our listeners and viewers we really recommend that you pick this up i mean it's a really i think a really thought-provoking and quick read i think to your point the fact that they did the graphic illustrated part first and then the essays because usually you would see them like sort of flipped but in like academic readers it's in this particular order um, I think really helps, it helps you get into the story, you get invested in what's happening and you wanna read more about it, you know? Um, so I thought that was a really good decision by the authors, the editors, whoever. Um, so yeah, I would, would recommend that you, our readers pick this up. Um, it is a great sort of, um, yep, yeah, uh, read and very accessible, I thought, um, into some of the historical considerations. All right, Kofi, take us away.
1: Yeah, uh, as always, it's great to be with you ladies. And for those viewing and listening, you can catch us on bookish, a casual book club. Uh, um, You can also catch us in Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. You can also see us on YouTube and we have our Facebook page. Please drop us a line, a comment. Like and subscribe because we like to know what our viewers and listeners think as well. Till Anon, we will see you uh, next month, I think. We have not decided what we're going to talk about, so we can't, we can't even <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got something in store for you.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: bye, everyone.
1: Bye. bye.